The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What happens just before and during the moment of death, and how can we help others make that transition? And are there differences in the death process for someone who has experienced an NDE? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest, Reverend Catherine James Clemstein, is a recently retired hospice chaplain for Hospice of the Chesapeake in Pasadena, Maryland. Her educational background includes a Master's of Divinity and a Doctorate in Ministry, with specialization in the field of ministry at the end of life. And in her practice, she developed and taught the Vigil Volunteer Training Program. Catherine's work with dying patients uniquely qualifies her for her discussion at the 2015 IONS Annual Conference in San Antonio on the topic Death as Transition, the Soul's Withdrawal from the Body, and NDEs During the Dying Process. Catherine examines the transition of the soul as it withdraws from the physical body during the dying process and reflects on the near-death experience in terms of the withdrawal and subsequent return of the soul to the physical body. She compares the physical description of the dying process to the changes in consciousness as the soul passes from the physical body into the non-physical and spiritual realms. In her work, she also shares her guidelines on how those at the bedside of a dying person can provide a compassionate, caring, listening presence to support the dying person who has experienced an NDE. Catherine, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. It's an honor. Well, it's, it's an honor to have you here. Catherine, how did you first get involved in supporting people as they die? Well, my very first experience with uh, NDEs was when my mother shared an NDE that she had uh, when I was a child. Um, she was giving birth to one of my sisters, and she had an NDE experience, and she, sh- she shared it with me. And from that time on, I've always had an interest um, in um, the near-death experience. And um, one of the things I wanted to do in my ministry, I wanted to uh, provide a, a bedside ministry. I wanted to be able to be that caring presence and just hold a patient's hand as they approached end of life so that they would not be afraid and to be open to the experiences that they were having as they went through the dying process. Mm. When your mother told you about her experience, um, was she? Um, did she find it difficult to talk about? And, and how long ago did that happen? Well, um, it was probably, I'm thinking, she probably shared it with me when I was probably around 10 years old. So that was like in 1957. Um, she had had my sister um, five years earlier. Uh, and she said at first she was reluctant to share it with others. But in time... Um, she began to share her story, and not to everybody, but she was very comfortable sharing it with me at the time and family members, close family members. Was it an out-of-body experience, or did she go further than that? Uh, she uh, saw the light. She saw the light, um, but uh, she was told that um, she it wasn't her time, and so she didn't enter into the light. Um, she knew that she wanted to come back and take care. She was told she had to have a reason to come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, for her, it was to take care of her children. 
so she, as soon as she said that she wanted to come back to take care of us, she returned back into her body. Uh, so she was given a choice. Yes, she was. Oh, very nice. Well, then how, uh, well, let's talk now more about the, uh, the process of dying and what you've, what you've witnessed as a hospice uh, chaplain. All right. Um, in, I'll explain it from the perspective of Hospice of the Chesapeake in that our patients um, have chosen to enter hospice and they're going to have no further medical treatment. And so we explain to them the dying process and explain to them how they will gradually decline. And um, when they, um, and they have a team of nurses, a nurse, um, a social worker, a chaplain, a physician, a nursing assistant upon request, a chaplain upon request, to um, work as a team to meet their physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs during this time. And so we work together as a team. We stay in close communication, and and we uh, share uh, uh, every other week. We get together and we share the experiences, the concerns that we have for our patients so that we can work together as a team to meet those needs. As a chaplain, uh, providing non-denominational support upon request, primarily my um, training, the emphasis was on being a compassionate, caring, listening presence. And um, our work is to meet our patients' needs where they are on their spiritual path. And so most of my work when I visit with patients and the other hospice members of the hospice team, too, are very much attuned to this. We listen to what our patients need to have a peaceful passing. And uh, we are also very familiar with the near-death experiences that the dying have. And so when a near-death experience occurs, if it occurs during a patient's dying process, we are there to help them by listening and helping them process how they feel and what they have learned and what they need, again, to have a a peaceful transition. So we work together as a team. So when I go to a patient, I ask them, what can I do as a hospice chaplain to help you meet your, your needs at this time? And so it really the focus is on what our patients need and, and it's listening to them and without questioning, well, we can question gently, like how did you feel about that? Tell me more so that we can work together to help them have a very peaceful transition from this world. Now, if a, if a patient has, is under hospice care, yes. have, have they, for the most part, signed a do not resuscitate order? Yes, yes. Do not resuscitate, yes, and no advanced um, medical treatment, yes. So in that, case, if, if, in that case, if they've had a, a near-death experience, it means they've come back on their own. Oh, yes, without a doubt. Um, I had a gentleman, oh, a few years ago, and um, he, he would be sleeping in his bed uh, a lot of times when I entered, and I, I didn't wake him up. I would sit quietly or uh, during my visit again, providing a caring presence. And um, sometimes he would open his eyes, 
and he would look at me and he would say, did I just die? Mm. And I would say, I, I don't know. Um, tell me what happened. And then he was at a, a loss for words. This peace would come over his face and he would just say, beautiful. Or there are no words. Yeah, he, he, but it happened several, several times. But yes, if we have a patient at the hospital, in hospice, who does their heart stops beating and um, they um, their breathing stops, then the families and also the hospice staff at the hospice houses uh, do not call um, uh, um, the um, 911. We don't have we don't have um, the um, AEDs in our um, building because we do not resuscitate our pa- our patients. So, yes, if they um, slip away and then come back, let's say the heart stops beating and their respiration stops, we wait. But sometimes they pick right back up again after sometimes a few minutes. And so we, um, we're accustomed to that in our work. Do you suppose that people come back on their own because um, they feel there's something uh, they haven't done yet, haven't said yet, haven't... Uh, experience spiritually yet or is it just a matter of the body picking up again and and you know the heart starting on its own yeah good question well uh, again i believe personally that um based on my um the studies that i've had of near-death experiences and talking with patients when they they if they have a near-death experience and not all of our patients have them but when they do um they seem to come back with um, some information. Uh, very often, time, for example, if they have a dream or if they if they do pass, their heart stops beating, the, the the people that meet them or the angelic presences that meet them will tell them, "It's not your time, but we will be here when your time comes." And when they share that. It gives them a great deal of peace. Many, many times it's a loved one. For example, a predeceased spouse or maybe a child that um, predeceased uh, a parent, their parent, um, a- another loved one, like a sibling. And they, are, they feel so much peace knowing that their loved one will be there to welcome them that they uh, lose that fear of the dying process it it transforms them uh, very deeply and when they share it with other family members it also brings the family members tremendous peace i mean for like a daughter just to know that her dad is going to be waiting there for her mother just gives uh family members just so much peace of mind that the near-death experiences i believe are a tremendous gift now some of them do come back with the sense that there is something that they need to complete. For example, there might be an estranged family member that they need to to see one more time, or they there might be um, they realize that the, it's time. It's time to take care of the financial uh, 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 concerns. Uh, it's time to say goodbye. And so, yes, the, very often they have a sense uh, that there are. There is unfinished business, and it, they're given that information that helps them and gives them time, and they're grateful for the time. 
to have mm-hmm. to take care of of telling their loved ones, "I love you and I miss you," and and this is what I how I want my funeral arrangements taken care of, things of that nature. In in my work as chaplain at uh, my hospital in Maine, I've seen patients come out of a coma and for a brief time or maybe even a day or so be fully alert, wide awake, uh, fully in command of their mental capacities yes. and getting through business and yes. taking care of matters and then lying back and, and dying. Yes, yes, we call that the energy surge. Yes, we see that very, very uh, often. Yes, and and I, it's such a gift. It's such a gift. Mm. It's such a gift to the family. The families just feel as though they have just one more day or just a few more hours to spend with their loved one. And and it really, many many times, that's when the 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 patient and also the family members take that time. And we prepare our family members for that possibility that there may be that energy surge, so that if it does occur then the family will be prepared to say those things that perhaps they, they didn't say earlier in their loved one's life. Do you suppose that's a physical um, uh, phenomenon or, or a spiritual one? I do or maybe a combination spiritual. of both? Uh. I believe it's, it's spiritual. I do believe, I do believe um, from my own experience uh, doing the hospice work, the soul transitions gradually from the body. And so uh, it's almost as though, in fact, we in hospice say uh, when our patients start to get close and, and they have those periods of confusion or they're sleeping more, that they're between heaven and earth. They're between worlds. And so many, many times we, we have the sense that they are leaving very, very gradually and they'll have the, the profound dreams and they'll, they might be very confused. They've stopped eating. They may not be able to swallow and it's obvious they're getting close to, um, to, to death. And then one day they, uh, are wide awake. They'll ask for their favorite meal. They remember the names of their loved ones. They're very clear and uh, they, they speak very clearly. And then, as you say, within the next 24 hours, they are sleeping soundly, they're non-responsive, and many of them pass within a day or two after that energy surge. Mm. I, I always assume uh, at the moment of, Beth, of death, if, there's a, if there are family members there, or even if not, that uh, the soul lingers for a while. And I tell people yeah. to... Say their goodbyes, even if someone has passed on. Oh, we do that as well, and I do believe that too. I think th- there are some cases where the soul, I think, immediately passes into the light, but I think a lot of times that's the exception. The soul, many times, I think, uh, passes very, very gradually, and many times I do believe that they stay uh, very close by the body. Uh, sometimes I almost sense that they are waiting for their family members to come. And they're they're there at the bedside with their loved ones, um, and um, they're they're it's their way of saying goodbye too. I believe just to be with them a little bit longer. Yes, it's a very sacred time. You can feel the sacredness in the room. I was just talking to someone the other day, a hospice staff member the other day, and and she and I were both sharing. You can feel the sacredness in the room after a soul passes and uh and I don't mean that in a religious sense I mean it in a very spiritual sense that um and I do believe yes that they are there uh, in the room for a time afterwards 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever, um, there, uh, Raymond Moody and others are just now beginning to, uh, experience, uh, to investigate experiences where people share a near death, uh, where a, a loved one or someone by the bedside is almost drawn into the patient's near death experience and taken for a moment to the other side. Have you, have you ever had uh, an experience like that? The only time I, I, I had an experience like that was when a family member was, a lot of times, especially at the hospice houses, and a patient is actively dying, the family members do not want to leave. So this person, this, um, it was a, a child, a, 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 an adult child, was spending the night sleeping at the bedside with um, their parent. And um, after the um, parent woke up and, and was describing this very vivid experience, the, the um, daughter realized that at the same time she had had a very vivid dream that was similar. And she even was wondering if she went part of the way with, you know, with her, um, with her, um, parent. So I, I, but that was only one time. And it, and she wondered if, you know, she would, if again, this happened again, if she would, you know, walk her mother to the other side into the light if she, if, if the death happened at night, yes. Have you ever felt the uh, impulse to give instruction to the soul after it's after it's passed on? Go into the light, look for the light. I look do, for... Yes, I do. Sometimes uh, when I am uh, at the bedside of a non-responsive patient uh, who's very very close to death, uh, long periods of apnea, uh, long periods between breaths, and uh, uh-huh. you know the the discoloration, the modeling of the fingers and the, and, the, and the hands and the feet. And it's very very clear that um, death is approaching. Um, I will just gently at the bedside um, say to them, you know, go to the light, go to your loved ones, meet them there. And, of course, I, I incorporate that in my prayers, too. If they ask for prayers for the bedside, I just say, you know, enter into that love, enter into that peace. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your God. Um, the I did, I so yes. I oftentimes after a patient has passed, I'll sit at the bedside and just remind them uh, that they are dearly loved more than they can imagine, and that that love is 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 all theirs. And I even say to them, go to the light, welcome it, let it surround you and fill you up, let it enfold you and fill you up. And remember, you are one with the light. You are one with that love. There's no separation between you and that divine light. You mentioned that um, sometimes people seem to wait for the moment of death until their loved ones are in the room with them. And I've noticed also that in some cases, people wait until the loved ones seem to leave. Exactly. So that that they won't be uh, there. I had a call uh, from a nurse uh, who was making a death visit one morning, and um, she said, could you please come over and console uh, uh, this patient's wife? She is inconsolable. She's just so distraught. So um, I wasn't too far away, and I, I went into her home, and she had stayed up all night by the bedside so that she could be there when her husband passed. She didn't want him to die alone. 
And in the morning, around 8 in the morning, she went into the kitchen for 10 minutes to make a cup of tea, and that's when he passed. And she was just so upset, and she felt so guilty that she left to make a cup of tea. And so my work, uh, my um, presence then was to listen to her, to console her. And um, depending on where uh, where the family or patients are at the time, if they seem open to that explanation, that sometimes it's too hard for um, the patient to leave. It's, it was hard for their loved one to leave when they were holding onto their hand. And so sometimes in the, just those few moments, let go of the hand, and they'll slip away. And then there are times when sometimes the, my, I, uh, I know that there are patients where they will wait for the entire family to be surrounding the bedside before they go. So it just varies from person to person. And um, I know that some, some patients say, I want everybody here. And then some patients will tell their families, uh, I want to die alone. So you don't need to be here. If I die in the middle of the night when you're not here, that's okay. I died in peace. Uh, perhaps you could tell us some uh, some stories uh, of um, the kinds of things that people have seen or told you about in the process of dying. Certainly. Well, um, you know, many uh, patients have uh, described the uh, the experience of the light. And um, they also will describe, again, as that gentleman who um, asked me if he had died, this beautiful heavenly place. Um, so um, they also, uh, most of them are willing to share their um, experiences of presences. And um, I would say uh, one experience... Um, I could share with uh, uh, a gentleman who um, he said um, he, he said I'm not going to be here on Friday. He would say I'm not going to be here on Friday, and I would say, well, well, tell me more. And he said, um, um, my mother came to me and and said that uh, she's coming back for me on Friday. And so I listened, and I said, well, how does that feel, knowing that, you know, you're going on Friday? And he said, I feel fine. You know, my mother's waiting for me. And lo and behold, he did pass. He did pass on Friday. So uh, that I, I always remember that one. Um, Any visions of angels or perhaps a religious figure like Jesus? Um, most of the time. Most of the time, uh, they will describe a feeling of of love, a presence of love. Uh, a lot of times, they come away with that feeling uh, more of a divine love, a, a divine being, but they don't describe it as Jesus. But I do know that depending upon a person's faith tradition, some will describe that loving light as Jesus. And I know I've had some uh, patients who have described Jesus visiting them, and uh, or perhaps even Mother Mary. Um, so there are, um, uh, yes, some who actually have a visual of angels. Um, they, uh, I had a, a, one woman who said to me, can you see that beautiful angel? 
And I said, I said, no, is it okay if the angel is here? And she said, oh, yes, you know. So they, they, um, yes, they clearly, uh, angelics, uh, the, they give great comfort as well as the family members do. Um, I was trying to think of another experience of an out of, uh, oh, an out of body experience. Um, I once had this elderly, uh, farmer and, um, he had been the patriarch you know, the family for, for decades, he, and he worked on his farm. And uh, the family called me because he was um, was very agitated, very agitated, and um, he uh, was very upset with his sons. So I, I went and visited, and as it turns out, um, he, the night before, he, well, he, I don't know for sure, but anyway, he, said that he woke up in the middle of the night, he told his sons he woke up in the middle of the night and someone had gone into his garage and had um, uh, moved one of the tractors out of the garage. And uh, he was he was not happy with the fact that they had made some changes to his, his um, workshop. So the sons were baffled as to how he knew that they had gone in and they were starting to sort through his... his uh, tools and his tractors and his equipment in the in the garage and so i i wondered if he um had had a um near-death experience because uh there was no way for him to know that the, to the, know. <laughs> yeah, that the tractor had been moved and so i i talked with the family i went i came back down after i talked to the the gentleman uh, about the situation. I came down and I talked to the the sons. They were all sitting out on the front porch of this farmhouse, and I, I I listened to them and I said, "Well, here's what you can do: is you know let your dad know that you were just trying to take care of things before he passed, and that he didn't have to worry about anything. They would take care of the farm. They take care of mom. They make sure they would make sure that everything was okay, and he didn't have to worry. All he had to do was rest." So they did. They went upstairs and they talked to him. They spent some time with him, told him what a great dad he was, how he had taken such good care of them and the farm and so forth. And um, it's it's just so happened that um, later that night um, he peacefully passed away. Uh, so I, the, he, I think he just needed to know that everything yeah. was going to be okay. So something good came out of that out-of-body oh, experience. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Now, I would be remiss, Catherine, if I didn't mention that you had mentioned to me uh, that there was one dark experience that you um, yes. encountered. Yes, and it was. I, I know that there. I've been with patients who have had um, uh, unpleasant near-death experiences, but this one was a very, very painful, not just for me, but for the patient's family and for the entire team that we we were working with. Um, this patient was having this reoccurring dream that her father was standing at the foot of the bed, and she was a cancer patient in, in her early 60s, and she was alert and conversive still, and she was having this dream her father was at the foot of the bed, and um, she was very, very upset became very agitated and she would not get back into bed. She wouldn't get back into bed. She only wanted to sleep, stay in a recliner and it, and she would not take her pain medicine because she did not want to go to sleep. So here she was in a recliner uh, in, in a great deal of pain and um, 
she wasn't sharing with anybody why she had made this decision. Uh, so they called in, the nurse called me in and, and said, maybe if you talk to her, she will share. So in time, she did share with me that the reason she was so upset was that her father had abused her throughout her entire childhood until she was a teen and able to leave home. Her father had sexually abused her. Mm. And that image of him standing at the foot of the bed frightened her because it was as though, you know, he was coming back. It reminded her of her childhood memories. The other thing that upset the patient so much was that throughout her entire childhood, she had prayed that her father would die and go to hell. And now she was afraid that her father was coming back to take her to hell. So she was very agitated, uh, again, in, in, in deep pain. And eventually, um, because of her upset and being in so much distress, uh, emotionally and spiritually, because she was feeling guilty, she was uh, feeling uh, ashamed, um, and she had never told anybody about this. She had never told anyone what had happened throughout her entire childhood. And so the family was having difficulty. They were concerned about her well-being, the fact that she was in so, pain, so much pain. So eventually she ended up uh, in a hospital in inpatient care for her symptom management. And even still, it, uh, it, she ha- had to be placed on palliative sedation because her agitation was so severe, her fear, her upset, her distress, that um, it was eventually decided that she would be put on palliative sedation. So there was never any real resolution. Uh, she, she never seemed to come to a place of peace. And that was heartbreaking, again, not only for the family, but also for the hospice team. Because we had hoped that we would, she would be able to come to a place of rest and peace and quiet, and that was one patient we were never ever, we never ever be able, uh, seemed to be able to help. Well, Catherine, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, is there any uh, way that listeners can get in touch with you if they have further questions? Yes, um, my email address is Catherine M James Seven at AOL.com. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, my thanks to the Reverend Catherine James Clemstein for sharing the story of her work with the dying. I hope you'll be able to come and to meet and talk with her at the upcoming IONS conference in San Antonio. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IONS, please check that website. There will be further information on that site about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference in San Antonio on NDEs as rites of passage. Thanks for listening.